The last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips, with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. We're all in on Joe Espada and Getty Lee. Let's light that hot stove. What's up, H Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros. With your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman, Jeff Blom. Now, here's Balky and Blomber. What is up, Astros fans? After a short vacation, we could spend some time grieving. We're back with uh, episode 98 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm Jeff Balky, alongside my partner, Jeff Blum. There's a lot to discuss, so we need to get at it. Good morning, Blummer. How is your offseason treating you so far? It's good. It's really good. It's uh, it's a little crazy, but uh, it's always good to be a little bit crazy in the sense that everything I get to do has to do with uh, family. So I've been grateful for that opportunity um, and just kind of lay low. I mean, I've been uh, actually exercising the opportunity to take naps, which is kind of nice. Man, Blummer, let me tell you something. There, is, there are rarely things as good as like an afternoon siesta. Mm. Just a just a nice little afternoon. I'm tired. We went. My wife and I went to Washington D.C. to visit her aunt. We were there like three days. Every afternoon, it's like, oh, we're gonna rest for a little bit. It's yep. just halftime. Oh. Exactly. You got to get that disco nap in. So you're ready for the damn right for the night. Um, we should mention pretty good Houston sports weekend. Um, oh my gosh! The Rockets, yeah. have, the Rockets have won six straight. I'm wearing my Dunkstronaut hat, which, by the way. The Rockets should turn this into their logo. This is absolutely spectacular. I mean, it's strong. It really is. And and then the Texans won. C.J. Stroud is now in the conversation for MVP. That guy's crazy good. Um, And, hey, the Dynamo are in the semifinals of the Major League Soccer playoffs. So pretty good sports weekend all around. And now we've got the news. As of yesterday, the Astros have hired Joe Espada, promoted him from bench coach to their 20th manager to replace the retired Dusty Baker. Before we dig into a spot, I think we should just acknowledge the fact that Dusty Baker, what a career for this guy. We haven't really had a chance to talk since he uh, retired. And I mean, just an icon of the game um, and really such a perfect guy to push them, the Astros through a really difficult time for the organization. So, I mean, congrats to him, right? No, that was a great, great move. Great hire by Jim Crane at the time. Like you're saying, you know, that 2020 season was highly controversial. Some tough decisions were were being made and Dusty Baker was the hire and he did a great job of being the front man for, for a team that really needed the deflection. And it's because of his, his stature in the game, his compassion for the game, his empathy for what guys are going through and the ability to go out there and answer some tough, tough questions. I think he did a wonderful job. I will never doubt Dusty as a human being, but as a manager, you're going to have questions. Like we're going to have questions of Joe Espada, who's now mm-hmm. in that seat. But at the same time, Dusty is one of the 
Yeah, he, he if there was I mean, there's a handful of guys that you would want to be an ambassador of your team, number one, which he was yes. for the last four years and doing a great job, but an, an ambassador of the game and uh, showing the longevity, the endurance, the, uh, the, the, the smarts, the athleticism. I mean, he mm -hmm. had it all and he was able to go through different, different, uh, generations of baseball and watch it really evolve to where it is now. And I think he would have, you know, in a year or two, he's going to have a very good understanding of what he's accomplished and what the game itself has accomplished. And I think that's where, when he gets inducted, which he will into the hall of fame, <clears throat> sure. his speech will probably be one of the ones you sit down there and go, oh my gosh, that was incredible. So uh, much love to Dusty. Greatly appreciate the friendship and everything he brought to me, myself, and the organization. But uh, yeah, he, he's a phenomenal human being and he deserved everything he got. And I'm glad he got that ring with the Astros. And certainly the coolest dude ever. I mean, just, oh, dude, nobody will ever match that. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, you don't make him. Yeah, just go ahead. That, that, that ship has sailed, man. Just be a manager. <laughs> you can't you can't just, be dusty. Nope. there's nobody going to be that cool. Um, now, I know, Blummer, you've you've had high praise for Joe Espada in the past. Yes. We've talked about him on here. Uh, what can you sort of tell us about him from your perspective? I mean, you've gotten to know him over the years a little bit, and and as he's been with the Astros, you know, what what is your perspective on this hire? Um, first and foremost, I mean, he came in in 2018, and uh, immediately we we hit it off as far as uh, communication, as far as personalities, and you know, just to, to get it out there. I personally, we are very good friends. I, I thoroughly enjoy Joe the person. Um, I like the father that he is. I like the husband that he is, and I think that kind of came through with the interviews you saw with his kids, which were ac absolutely were adorable. The most <laughs> most adorable kids you'll ever see. If you if you get a chance to catch that little snippet <clears throat> interview he did with his 12 and his eight-year-old just mm -hmm. like heartbreakingly adorable ridiculous yes yeah he he's he's an amazing man and uh and then you start to get into the conversation how did you get to this point joe and you know it's 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 what he was as a player it's what it's it's how he developed into a coach it's how he got through the miami marlins it's how he got through the new york yankees tenure and then all of a sudden he shows up here in 2018 and uh, you know, with with everything that was going on with the Astros and Alex Cora moving on to Boston, mm -hmm. AJ Hinch went out and hired uh, Joe Espada, and Joe moved in great. I think he was a brilliant hire at the time, just because he's bilingual, so he can talk to the Latin yeah. guys, he can talk to the yeah. American guys, and I think that's part of his strength is that uh, being able to communicate as well as he does in English and in Spanish. Because you know as well as I do, the Astros are at the forefront of international signings, which I, I I've really learned to appreciate, um, and they've done a very good job. So I think that's a that's a feather in his cap. Um, under AJ, that was more of the modern school, new school, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. Um, so he he understands the analytics. He understands how to apply the analytics to the game, but he also understands how to use his mind and his heart and his eyes to manage the game as well. So if he's able to put those two together and go out there and manage this ball club, it will be great because Dana Brown, who has high praise of Joe Espada, feels the same way. And remember, Dana Brown is a scout before a GM. Now he's a scout that is a GM. So he's another guy that kind of goes with the heart, the eyes, and then puts the numbers to it. And I think that's really going to benefit Joe. And what a lot of people probably want to hear is the fact that I think Joe, and to Dusty's credit, he was loyal. He was loyal to mm -hmm. veterans, and he put those guys out there and allowed them to play. I think Joe's going to be a little bit different in the sense that he, if you're playing well and the numbers dictate you should be in that lineup, guess what? 
you're going to be in that lineup. And I think that's where Joe's going to be a little bit different. And I think that's where some of the younger guys on this team, because you have established guys like Bregman, Altuve, Pena, mm-hmm. um, Abreu, you know, mm-hmm. you've got guys that are going to Tucker, you're going to play every day. Mm-hmm. It's those younger guys who are looking to establish themselves that I think might be excited. A la Yiner Diaz is going to play a lot. Chaz McCormick is going to play a lot. And I think that's where Joe's really going to do a good job is, is managing that uh, clubhouse and managing that roster to put the best team out there every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you and I have talked about that quite a bit. I, I do appreciate the sort of balanced approach. I think everybody in baseball now kind of thinks that, you know, analytics is a huge part of the game and it needs to remain a huge part of the game mm-hmm. because of the predictive nature of, of it, particularly when it comes to player development. Um, but you know, it's sometimes you need your gut instincts when it comes to these things. And sometimes you need to be able to make decisions that don't necessarily jive with the numbers. Um, so I think that blended approach makes a lot of sense. And, and especially since he's come up under, you know, different types of, 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 uh, you know, managers, guys that, you know, some that like AJ Hinch, who was a much more analytics driven guy than more dusty bakers, more driven, by his uh, his experience, that should serve him well. Like you said, I think it'll I think it'll be a really interesting thing to watch him combine those things. And you mentioned Dana Brown. I want to bring that up. I thought it was notable that Dana Brown really kind of handled this whole situation. Jim Crane sort of handed it over to him and said, "Here, you take it over." Um, I think there were some people out there who were worried that that might not be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, I think, means that Dana Brown and, and, and Joe Spada's fates are sort of tied together. And hopefully that's a good thing. Hopefully that's the they're, they're the new Jeff Luno, A.J. Hinch without the controversy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 it's funny you bring that up because that, that was a good working relationship. But there were... You know, there were some moments where they butted heads a little bit, and I think that it's going to be yeah. really beneficial for Dana Brown. And I, I appreciate that Jim gave Dana the opportunity to make this choice because if you, I would imagine if you're sitting in that GM seat and you come in with a manager already here, there's there's not going to be animosity, but there might be a difference in opinion. But if you can actually go in as a GM and say, "I get a chance to pick my manager." I think that's where you really start to thrive because you start to have that relationship. And this has completely changed from when I played till now, because I mm-hmm. think the GM and the manager are very close uh, now because of uh, because of the analytics, because of the idea of how to go out there and win. So you've got to be on the mm-hmm. same page. And um, I think that, uh, they, that Dana and Joe, as well as they get along, still have the ability to provide their own opinion. And I think that's where that part of the relationship could be better than it was for Jeff Luno and AJ Hinch. It's just the fact that they could sit down. There's not going to be the animosity. I know better than you know. Uh, this is, you know, you're not going to hear this is my team. I think you hear those guys talk. They say it's our team. And I think that's where Dana Brown really kind of knocked it out of the park. Having a guy internally that he has a relationship with, and then the guy you have the relationship with has a very good relationship with your ball club. Hopefully all that adds up to a very successful year for the Astros and a very successful tenure for Joe Espada. Yeah. And I mean, Jim Crane, look, I mean, if you're a good, if you're a good boss or a good owner, your job is to hire people you think that can do the job and then let them do their job. I mean, that's, that's really what you're there for. And, and Crane seems to be a guy that trusts the people that he hires because he trusts his ability to hire, you know, Mm -hmm. as he should. And so I think it was the, you know, allowing Dana Brown to make this decision 
look, we can we can certainly admit that hiring Joe Espada, good decision certainly, but also a decision of continuity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy that's been with the organization. It good ha- point. The, or, the, the the train is running, right? You know, we're in the middle. We're not really at the end of this of the quote unquote golden era of the Astros. We're still in the middle of it, and so. Um, I think having him as the continuity with players that already know him and like him, um, it makes a lot of sense. And with the two of them together, hopefully now they can work. Because like you said, the GM and the manager are much more closely aligned. I think a lot because they, you know, the analytics dictate lineup changes and they dictate, Mm -hmm. you know, what works well with certain things. And so the two of them have to be on the same page with that. Completely. And I, I would imagine Joe's already got his ideas. I mean, he's seen this team for five years and he's seen what they did last year. So he's probably in his head has managed every game over the last five years being that bench coach. Right. So he's got a right. feel for it. And uh, I would imagine, you know, the conversations, again, the conversations with AJ have probably been amazing. Uh, he he yeah. got to be the bench coach under a Hall of Fame manager. So, I mean, there there's yeah. something to glean and, and uh, uh, adopt from both those guys that are going to hopefully, yeah. you know, show up in some of the gameplay. It's going to show up in some of the... The media sessions, he's already done a great job uh, talking yes. to the media. I think you're going to see a little more, you know, Joe's, Joe's a hyper-transparent guy. You know, I, I know that changes a little bit when you become the head manager. you got to be a little more careful about some of the information mm-hmm. you uh, you give out. But at the same time, I, I really feel like he is going to be much more open about his process than maybe Dusty was about his. And I think that's going to be part of the fun with uh, having Joe in there is that you can start to ask some of these questions and he's going to be prepared for him and give you a great answer. Well, Dusty was always that guy too. He, he was such a coy responder. You know, he'd, mm-hmm. they'd ask him a question about somebody's injury. He goes, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Like, that's not an answer, really. <laughs> you know, it's like those, those kind of, you know, it's like he sounds like he's got right shoulder discomfort. What's wrong with him? I don't know. You should ask him. Maybe he slept funny. Like, he was always <laughs> one of those guys that just. That's part of the charm, bro- though. He I mean, was, people got upset, know, but that was but part of the charm. That's the thing. He's such a dodger. Like, he's such a, he's such, he's a guy that can <laughs> dodge a question. But he does it like he's, it's almost like he's dancing. Like, when he does mm-hmm. it, like, whoop. You missed me on that one. Oop, go slip to the side on that one. Like he was so good at it that you just couldn't. He was so charming. So maybe maybe we'll get a little more transparency at least on the, uh, you know, yeah. soreness or whatever discomfort. Excuse me. How do you get the word right from the Astros' point of view? Um, I did write something about uh, a few things that I think Joe Espada is going to need to address going forward. Um, and I want to get your thoughts on some of these. One, and you already brought it up once, and that is. The choices when it comes to playing, uh, you know, when it comes to playing certain guys. I mean, we already know it's been said. Dana Brown has said it. Yiner Diaz is their catcher. That's the deal. Uh, which and then now they're going to look for a backup, and unless Maldonado decides to come back and and back up, but then they're also going to have to decide. Hey, Ma! More meatloaf. We need to have some more meatloaf. I mean, I feel like, look, you know, uh, all silliness aside, Chaz McCormick has deserved his spot. And now, granted, he'll probably play some. He'll probably play some center and some left field, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's going to spot Jordan Alvarez at times. Mauricio Dubon will get some time in center, as he should. Congratulations on the Gold Glove. Um, So I think we'll see a little bit of that. But the the idea of playing Yonder Diaz 
you know, most of the time is already solid. But Chaz has got to get his time too. I mean, he has proven himself to be a solid uh, defender and a really good guy at the plate. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to, to to what I was saying about Joe kind of going with he's a numbers guy because everything that's come out of the, <clears throat> excuse me has come out of Union Station over the last five years has gone right onto the desk of Joe Espada and he's been the one yep. that's kind of deciphered and filtered that into the clubhouse. Right. So he he's comfortable reading the information, but I think what makes good managers is also reading the room, reading the player, and putting guys out there in a position to succeed and playing the hot hand. You know, if you're putting your best team out there, that means playing those guys that are swinging the bat well. And I think that's where a little bit of the frustration sat in last year is knowing that we could have had a Chaz, a Yiner in the lineup a little more consistently. And then you would have had maybe some more opportunities to win more games and, you know, have a little more comfortable division lead. But that being said, that's in the past. Joe's going to be a guy, I think, that actually recognizes who's playing well, who's playing hard, who deserves the opportunity. And he's going to give it right. to them if they've earned it. And I think that's part of this new school mentality is if you're good enough, you're going to be in the big leagues. If you're playing well enough, you're going to be playing as often as you can. And I think that's where right. Joe's going to kind of change things a little bit in order to put the best team he possibly can out there. Now, you can't do it every day in a 162-game right. schedule, but he's going to be better at maybe giving a majority of that time to guys that are playing well. And like you said, Chaz has 100% deserved it because he's played a more than competent center field and he swings mm -hmm. the bat well and he's a threat you know you like to have those guys right. in your lineup that are a threat to drive the ball out of the ballpark and uh, that means a lot to this organization and then Yiner Diaz um, I know you saw it as well as I did he did not play an entire season and finished fifth in rookie of the year voting yeah it's incredible I mean just incredible he and he deserved it that's the thing yeah, I mean, huh? it's not even that it's not even that he he was like, well, that's cool. No, he was deserving. I mean, the guy, mm. he's a hitting machine. We'll see what his defense does. We'll see if he's able to manage the pitching staff uh, as well as uh, Maldonado supposedly has. We'll see if his defense can, you know, he's got that strong arm. Can he make the good decisions on the field? But, man, in the batter's box, that guy is, you just got to have him in there as much as possible. And Chaz, same way. I mean, Chaz was, what, third on the team in OPS? I mean, mm -hmm. this is a guy that, you know, uh, for the season. And, you know, and I mean, that's a guy that really wasn't playing full time, particularly early on in the season. So, yeah, those guys have just got to have time. And, and it brings up another point that you and I talked about, which is stabilizing the batting order. You know, you mm -hmm. talked about this quite a bit, this idea of not just am I going to play from day to day, but where am I going to be lined up? You know, who's going to be in the two spot. I mean, we know Jose Altuve is the, uh, is the leadoff guy. We know that beyond that, you know, do they line up Alvarez and Tucker back to back, even though both they're both lefties, you know, mm -hmm. we don't really know. And, and that was part of the issue last year. There was a lot of this sort of not, it was a very stable lineup and you got to wonder, will Joe Spada try to, to, you know, stabilize some of that lineup going forward, make guys a little more comfortable knowing where they're going to be every day. Yeah. And he's going to have that conversation with the players too, which I think is going to be very interesting because I think he's going to yeah. be a little more player input uh, type guy and uh, create the relationship there to be able to get those guys to be honest with him on where they feel comfortable being in that lineup. And kind of to your point, I hate to bring it up, but uh, the, you know, the Texas Rangers, 
they had a lineup that Boji threw out there every single day. Every day. And if, you know, the only thing that altered it was left-handed, right-handed, but right. he created, and part of having that, that, that lineup, you create a routine, even if you changed up for left-handed, right-handed pitcher, you right. created a routine. And when you create routine, you know how to prepare for it. And I think that's where the Rangers kind of settled in and their lineup did so much damage. Yes, they're very good, but to your point, they understood their position in the lineup and what that meant and how to get ready for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that obviously propelled them to that World Series championship. And I think that's where Joe might bring back some of that um, idea of this is your spot in the lineup. We're going to go with it until you you prove to me you shouldn't be in that spot. And then we'll make the adjustment mm-hmm. from there. But I want you to create that routine and that uh, that sense of comfortability, hopefully. Yeah. And, and, and going and talking about that, too. We also have to, and another thing I, I wrote was that we have to think about how he's going to manage workloads. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was pretty clear that Jose Abreu was better this season when he had time off. You know, he they finally rested him. I mean, this he's an Iron Man, right? He played, he plays in every game. But last year he was struggling. They put him on IR, IL, one of the whatever they call it now, and uh, <laughs> let him and let him just rest for a little while. And when he came back, he was just markedly better right mm-hmm. and then you start thinking about guys like Jose Altuve who's gonna be 34 or Justin Verlander who does all likes to pitch every five days but it's a little bit better every six days right so I, I think it'll be real interesting to see how he manages the workload of those guys um you know especially the older guys who giving them the time off they need but balancing it with getting them in the lineup as often as possible yeah, and that's another thing about Joe being there over the last five years is that he's had five years of watching Justin Verlander, experiencing Justin Verlander, so he's going to know yeah. how to you know massage the situation with him and have that uh, dialogue. Um, you know, I'll keep in mind too that if Justin Verlander gets to I think it's 140 innings in this con or in, during the season, right. that third year of the contract kicks in. So uh, I would imagine JV is going to be saying, "I'm going to take the ball every five days <laughs> to get to that plateau." Well, yeah, um, and and you mentioned a spot of talking to him, but also JV probably is going to trust him a little bit as well. That's where that's so what you hope. That's ways, the key right? word. Yep, you're right. The trust you got to develop that trust, and hopefully he's done that over the last four or five years. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree that he's going to have to uh, manage that workload because the team is getting older. But that's the idea of Dubon too, man. That guy was in the running for a gold yeah. glove at second base, eventually wanted as a utility guy. But he played 65, 66 games at second base and was in the running for a gold glove. So he will, he will be able to give, you know, if Jordan is in left field uh, playing mm-hmm. in the position, then you can DH and Jose Altuve. And that's how you manage that mm-hmm. workload to your point and put Dubon at second base. Um, you know, but now, they're going to have to find possibly somebody who can play the left side of the infield because I think that's where Dubon, mm-hmm. it's, it's not his best or his strength. His strength right. is center field and center and second base, maybe a little bit of shortstop. Right. So find that utility guy that can maybe play some outfield and third base corner. Um, yep. And and what about uh, maybe finding that other utility guy that can play first base and some outfield? You know, right. that might that might go that's, to your point about giving a break some days off during the week. Right, exactly. I think that's that that's all part of I think this off season of figuring out how to fill in those pieces. And and speaking of that, Joe Spada is going to have to start figuring out how to handle the starting lineup. Look, at some point there is a possibility that by mid season next year the Astros could have eight starters. 
on this team. Thinking of eight <laughs> starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, July, way, we keep hearing about Luis Garcia and Lance McCullers Jr. coming back. And oh my gosh, yeah, you're like, uh. <laughs> and that does not even count Spencer Aragetti. Who, who should get, who should be considered. A, he's going to be a big piece in spring training. He's going to get a shot. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to get a shot. So you're going to have to figure out how to juggle a pretty – I mean, at first, I think you're, McCullers and, and Luis Garcia, they're not going to be back for at least the first couple of months of the season, maybe three. We'll see. Um, so you're going to have to start thinking about it. And, and by the way, Dana Brown needs to think about it. Should, can you move a couple of these guys into the bullpen, at least, you know, temporarily? Um, Hunter Brown? It be, it, right. Hunter Brown is a guy that you start thinking, man, maybe he's a – He's legit. He comes in. He fired away in the playoffs. He was good at it. He looked good um, for me. He looked great. He looks good as a starter. He looks good as a reliever. I, I, I he's. I, I think it, you almost have to wait and see what he he develops into because right now he could do both. Right. Right. And the Astros have had some success of bringing guys up, starting them as relievers, starting and stretching them out over time. You've seen that with some guys. Your Kitty's thrown out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, you've got guys that can can sort of do both, and the Astros have been pretty flexible about that. So that's going to be on his radar. Look, I think for me, one of the most key elements coming up for for a spot of this year is going to be figuring out how to fix the Astros defense. Like this is a team that for years has been just spectacular defensively, and then something happened last year where they just weren't very good defensively. I don't know if it was just malaise you know know. if it was just like uh, not paying attention enough or not focused or if it was just something else but they need to that's going to be to me top of mind for him getting into spring training and figuring that out Uh, that's probably been chewing on him for the last year because he he is the infield guy and the the (laughs) fact that uh I, i i don't know the exact number but i do know they are at least in the top three if not leading the league this season in 2023 in unearned runs, and that is that's not good. That's not Astro baseball. Astro baseball is that. pitching, great defense, and very good hitting. Yeah, you can't have that, and especially you know we'll see what happens at Minute Maid this year. We'll see how successful Can we figure they that are out? in their own God, ballpark. Man. I mean, that, that, whatever they got. I don't do. know how you feel, but that's the do only thing that s- kind of eats at me. I'm like, if they just won one game at right. home in the ALCS, they win back to back World Series. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. I'm telling you, Ryan, could, could, do they need somebody to, like, do they need a shaman to come in? Do they need somebody to wave some sage? There's so many gurus you know, out there. The get place. a guru that knows something about this. <laughs> get somebody in there. Like, do they need, is it, do, do we have to do like some sort of weird ceremony? Do we need a live chicken? Like they I was going to say, I don't have my Joe Boo doll in here. Maybe get Joe Boo a little, you know, a little <laughs> bit spicier rum or something. Yeah, but I'm with you. Anything. You know, anything. Do they need to remember the, they buried who is it? Who is it? Their glove that they buried oh, Carlos they Beltran, had a ceremony yeah. for it. Yeah. When Carlos Beltran, they had a ceremony. Maybe they need to have some kind of ceremony. Resurrect for it and get I don't it out know. of there. I don't know. But good. Just do something, anything to, to make that happen. So now that Joe Espada has taken over, we've obviously we feel pretty good about this. Um, there's some stuff coming up in the hot stove that now Dana Brown is going to have to address. Yeah. Um Look, right around the corner, I think it's tomorrow they have to have their 40-man roster declared because otherwise guys will end up mm-hmm. uh, in the Rule 5 draft. And the Astros have like six or seven guys 
um, that are that are eligible for that. Um, there, there's a good chance they're going to lose three of their relievers, including Hector Darius. Um, so they're going to have to start. I mean, he is, Dana Brown has said their priority is going to be backup catcher and relievers. Seems pretty obvious and seems, you know, and they said they'll keep their eye out for another starter. Although the hell are you going to do with another starter? Um, unless you make a trade, which also brings that up, you know, the, the Astros do have a, a plethora of starters. So that might be an option. Like, what do we, where do you think they're going to go from here? Given the fact that they do have, even though they're not huge, massive sort of, you know, n- things, these are leverage relievers and that sort of thing. Are, are you think that's going to be their main priority? Is like these main things, or do you think they're going to try to pull a rabbit out of the hat and look somewhere else? Well, it's interesting that you said starting rotation or maybe another starter, just in the sense that you do have, like you said, eventually when everybody's healthy, you're going to have seven or eight options, but. You know, but the you know he's obviously asked himself this question: Do we have enough to get us to mid you know midsummer and wait for Luis Garcia to get healthy, wait for Lance McCullers to get healthy and get them in there? But obviously, you're going to have to track you know how the rehab is going, how the stuff looks. Are they going to be able to contribute mm-hmm. later in the season? You know, are they going to be able to contribute immediately, or is it going to take them some time to get their feet wet, get back in the rhythm, mm-hmm. and then go out there and dominate like they can? And that's probably where he asked himself that question said, okay, maybe if we can get that starter, maybe not a top line, but get that middle of the road mm-hmm. starter that can eat up some innings and go out there and provide you some quality starts uh, is yes. where he's doing it. You know, is that JP France? Is it giving Spencer Arigetti an opportunity? You know, is is Jose Urquidy, did he pitch well enough at the end of the season to put himself into that rotation again? But there's a lot of questions as far as that's concerned, but those might be easier answers if you start to prioritize like you're talking about. Backup catcher, it's got to be, you know, somebody Maldonado-ish where they're veteran, understand yeah. their role, will work with uh, Yiner Diaz to make him better. <clears throat> so you're going to have to find somebody who's uh, established and humbled and happy to be there. Um, I think the idea of kind of putting center field at the back burner is a good idea because you do have enough talent to, to cover that. Um, but the back end of the bullpen is going to be interesting because – you know, Mayton was, I called him the wolf uh, because of uh, Harvey Keitel's character in uh, in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> you know, he was always the guy that came in right. and tried to clean up messes. And do you need that guy back? Who could fill that role? Uh, he's a free agent. Uh, Hector Neris was the setup to the setup guy and did a phenomenal job, even as scary as it was at times. And his tenure with the Astros was amazing. I mm-hmm. love that guy. He was a, you know, he was a s- emotional leader. He was a, a, a leader with the way he pitched, yes. uh, ate up innings, never said no. That yes. dude just pitched constantly. And then you've got Ryan Stanek who really wasn't used all that right. much. So there's still plenty of juice in that arm. If you feel like you want to bring that back and it might be a little more cost effective, but I would imagine out of those three, Mayton, right. Neris, Stanek, one of those guys guys is coming back. I just don't know who it is and who Dana wants it to be. Um, But yeah, filling that back into the bullpen because a Braves established himself as maybe the, I mean, when Ryan Presley decides to go or whenever that is uh, at the end of his deal, Mm -hmm. Ryan Abreu is going to step in beautifully and do a great job. Uh, That guy, I mean, we knew he was good, but we didn't realize how good he could be. And now we're starting to see it. And then, uh, you know, Montero's going to be back there. You got to find a way to put him in situations to succeed. But uh, if there's if there's a tra- if you're an Astro fan, if there's a trade made, it's going to be earth shattering. 
because every, we love everybody on our team. So you've almost got to get Millie prepared. <laughs> That's fair. You've almost got to get Millie prepared if you're a fan to be like, oh my God, I can't right. believe he traded that guy. You know, but that's the tough decision of being a GM and Dana Brown's the guy right now. You know, the one thing I think you you saw them when they signed Kendall Graveman last year, they mentioned that he was on a two year deal. So they haven't one more. That's good news. You're right. Graveman pitched really well. You know, uh, he pitched really well. He's a good high leverage guy, Um, kind of Brian Presley ish in that sort of in his approach. Mm -hmm. Um, so he certainly will help, but yeah, I agree with you. I think one of those three needs to come back. I mean, to me, I think it's Naris is going to be too expensive. I, 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 I totally agree. We, <laughs> I think he's going to be too expensive. I think, you know, they, they should have given him Montero's money, but nevertheless, um, I think, you know, I think that's the deal. Montero got what Naris's money. <laughs> Um, but also Naris is older too. So you figure, and Stanek, I think may have just gone past his time. I think Phil Maton's the guy they probably mm-hmm. need to target. I think he's a relatively affordable option and he's a different type of pitcher. He's not a power arm. You know, he's a guy that throws the the breaking pitches and some off speed stuff. And that's a good, you know, tr- it's a good contrast to the guys that they have. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Like we talk about in the NFL thunder and lightning, as far as like the two man running backs mm-hmm. or the backfields, yes. um, Maton's that guy, he's, right. you know, instead of being power, he's the, he's the, he pulls back on the throttle a little bit and is a nice little offset to a lot mm-hmm. of velocity. Yeah, he's the shake and bake. Yeah, no. you're right. I'm just now we're gonna start doing start doing shake and bake. I don't want to start getting into that now. That's <laughs> they'll take us down a bad path. Um, so one one thing to mention, <laughs> no, you and I especially, yeah. we'll get off. All of a sudden, we're twelve again. Exactly. Um, I will mention too that look, it's we're gonna have um, there will be some negotiations this off season for potential extensions, mm-hmm. especially with arbitration hearings looming for some guys. Um, I think that, I mean, I don't think Bregman's getting extended because I think Bregman wants to check out, he wants to test free agency. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, Tucker, we've seen where that's going. Framber Valdez, I'm not sure. But do you think Altuve's extension gets done this offseason? He's got one more year left. I think everybody wants that guy to be an Astro for life. This would probably be the final deal of his mm-hmm. career given his age. Do you think that's something that gets done this yes. offseason? I mean, I, I don't even think it's. Uh, I, I think it gets done. It's just it's it's a number and it's years. And uh, there's several reasons I mm-hmm. feel that way. And you know, Jim Crane is smart. Jim Crane understands business. He understands making money. And sometimes you've got to pay your guys yes. like Jose Altuve to put butts in the seats and sell uh, jerseys. He is one of the more likable. He's one of the mm-hmm. more uh, successful Astros of all time. And I think keeping and he understands mm-hmm. keeping him in that uniform allows him to retire as an Astro and potentially go into the Hall of Fame with that star on his uh, on his hat which I think plays well for both right. fans and it plays well for both, you know, concession sales and uh, team store sales because the guy is so yeah. likable and so loved here in Houston. But look at it from the angle of Jose Altuve. I am playing in a ballpark where my swing fits beautifully. I can turbo hook into the Crawford yep. boxes. I can shoot gaps all over the place. Um, I'm comfortable here. My family's established here. My daughters are going to school. And guess what? I'm going to ask you this. Where else could he play? You know, it's a really good question, Blummer. And I, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm not sure there's a great fit for him anywhere other than Houston. I mean, maybe I mean, Kansas truly, City? Like, I don't I mean like some all, random place? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where he goes, where he, you know, 
it's a good question. And also, look, let's be honest. You know, they talk about this in other sports. Uh, I think it's really true in baseball. He's got a game that plays as he gets older. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a guy that's necessary. I mean, you know, look, he's like Ichiro, right? You know, he can keep hitting the ball. He can keep putting, you know, putting the bat on the ball. He's got that kind of skill set. Maybe the power wanes over time, although, you know, it's been pretty damn mm-hmm. consistent. But, I, yeah, I wonder where else he could go where it wouldn't be. I mean, the only, the only, the only one in my head that I thought of is, like, if he was going to leave, maybe Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Right? Maybe he could, you know, maybe he rejoins A.J. Hinch in Detroit. And finish where his idol, um, I mean, basically his I, best friend and idol played, too, Miguel Cabrera. And, and it, it frustrates exactly, me to ask that just, question because – he is a yes. phenomenal athlete, but there's so much bad information out there, and he became the poster boy of 2017 yep. for some ungodly reason, and he gets booed everywhere he goes. I just don't know. The only thing that if he really wanted to screw things up and mess with people and troll the hell out of them is call Brian Cashman. <laughs> I was Just, just go say, right into the lion's den and exactly be like, I'm going to be your second too. baseman. Just go right into the be- belly of the beast. Exactly. I will. I will say this too, though. I mean, Altuve. Never mind all this stuff that people said about. He took it. Like he he's just handled it with it. the most grace like I, I could I mean, ever just, imagine. It's unbelievable. It's just I I can't imagine. I would have flipped. Oh, out. dude. I mean, if you know, he had, <clears throat> I'd have gone into hiding. I'd have been a miserable forever. So, yeah. I mean, so I, I I agree with you though. I think his deal gets done too. I think that he's going to retire in Astro. I think that's it's one of the safer bets you could probably make. Speaking of Detroit, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about this. So do you know Jason know Benetti, him. the play-by-play guy from the White Sox? I figured you might. I don't know if you saw this, but he's left the White Sox to go to the Detroit Tigers. And one of the reasons why he's done this, I really wanted to get your opinion about this because I thought he would have a fascinating take, is apparently the White Sox did not <laughs> like him doing other broadcasts. He was doing college football. He's doing some basketball and they they basically told him he could only do X number of those games a year. Now, I know that there are plenty of announcers out there, yourself included, who've worked on other broadcasts. You know, I mean, if you look, if you look at the Texans right now, um, Andre Ware, their color commentator, he does college football every weekend uh, as well, in addition to his uh, job with the Texans as their, color, as their radio color guy. I find this to be shocking considering Benetti was hugely popular uh, with the White Sox. He's a young guy. He's a guy that you could ride out your mm. entire career with He's one on the team. Vince Scully He's arc. from Chicago. The f- yes, the fans love this guy. And he has to go to Detroit because of the White Sox not wanting. That was shocking. Anyway, I wanted to get your take because I was very curious. No, it was shocking. This. And and to your point, I mean, the interviews and the the answers that Benetti is giving, he goes, I'm going to a place where they wanted me. And I was like, what? Right. <laughs> he, he for those that don't know, Jason Benetti um, is a, he, I don't know how many people knew this because he did such a good job. He was a, he's a born and bred White mm-hmm. Sox fan. He is yeah. from Chicago. He Absolutely. got his dream job, and he got it because he is brilliant. He's great. He he's smart. He's up on pop Super culture. Fast. He's got the references. He, the yes. timing, the cadence, the appreciation for Steve Stone and his color guys that he's been working with over the years. Like he leaves mm-hmm. space, and I've actually had the the fortune, the good fortune, of working with him on a couple of Peacock broadcasts, and I've actually sat into the, on the white on that White Sox uh, that other broadcast that he does for that for that team 
that I used to be affiliated with. And I've worked, so I've, I've had work with say. him. He is excellent. As prepared as he is, I sit down next to him and he goes, this is your show. And then he starts the game and you're like, what? <laughs> but he does a very good job. And uh, I, I, I understand from an ownership standpoint that you want consistency in your booth. But professionally, on my side, bro, I want to get out there. I want to do as many broadcasts as I can wherever I can. And it's only sure. going to make me better uh, the more work I get. And I don't have the ability to do basketball, football like these guys. I'm in awe of Joe Davis and Jason Benetti, Todd Callis, uh, Robert Ford that can go out there and just just smooth transitions into other sports and do a great job. But baseball is yep. so different in the sense of, of style and pace. And he's so good at it. When you do find that good play by play guy, I can't believe you let him go because they're going to have a hell of a time replacing him as a broadcaster and as a person, because I know that fan base absolutely loved him. Um, but that's kind of where I sit. And, you know, to your point, yeah. and just to give you an example is in years past with our broadcast crew here in Houston, we've had moments in scheduling where TK wasn't on a broadcast and Julia wasn't on a broadcast. It was just me and, you know, whoever filled in Eschenvelder or, um, you know, some of the other, other girls for Julia. And then we've had moments where we haven't had any of us on a show. And that was early on in like 17, 18. And Jim Crane right. actually right. stepped in and said, look, we are never going to have this again. He goes, I need at least two of you on every single show. And that makes it tough for scheduling. But at mm -hmm. the same time, he recognized, thankfully, that we're, you know, the continuity and having us on the show brings more attention to it and gives a better product. But I think that's where, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf might be, but we all know. Jer Jerry is, <laughs> Jerry's very particular well, about how he wants Jerry's his team run. Jerry. And he, I, I would imagine he had a very, very uh, large opinion in this position, but I don't think it was right. And Detroit Ask fans are going to benefit greatly. And they're oh, on yeah, this. No they're I, I, I was up reading too. some of the. Yeah, they are. I, I was reading some of the story about this, and, and just I, I I've heard a little bit of his stuff because he does make such great pop mm -hmm. culture references. He's very very he's very fast. Um, you know he 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 pulls it from like what seems like an encyclopedic mm -hmm. knowledge, and I appreciate that because I understand the the curse of living with stupid quotes from old television shows in your head <laughs> where you wish they were replaced with like calculus or something uh -huh. where you, I'm can, with you. you know, something that could pay me, <laughs> but it is a, it is something that, you know, uh, when I saw that, I was like, man, sometimes you need to learn, you know, I, I, as someone who's been a musician forever, there are different types of people that you work with in music musicians. There are, there are players who are, if you sometimes you work with a really good musician, you have to put up with the fact that they have other gigs and you just have to deal with that. When I was playing full time, I had gigs with all kinds of people and it was always first come first. And it makes serve, you better. Right? You book a gig, I'll be there. <clears throat> right. And, but there are people who hated that, who really didn't like it because they felt like there was some sort of level of disloyalty or whatever, even though really what you're doing is you're just getting out there and you know, you're doing your gig, right? So I, I feel for guys that are in that situation. I think you take every opportunity mm -hmm. you can. Um, and as long as you're doing what makes you happy and you're not damaging the product of the people who are paying you primarily, then what difference does it make? You know, yep. enjoy yourself. I'm, I'm going to leave with one last, one last thing before we go. Really great story last week in The Athletic about my hero, Canada's hero, Getty Lee. <laughs> 
um, who is selling off a portion of his sizable baseball memorabilia collection. I mean, some of the stuff he has in there is crazy. Like I was looking through the list on Sotheby's or whatever the auction house is, Christie's. And um, his autobiography also happens to come out today called My Effin' Life by Getty Lee. Uh, Hits bookshelves today. Um, And of course, I've got on my shelf back there the big, beautiful book of bass, which is about all of his basses that he collects. But I, you know, I want to say this about Getty Lee. I think it's really interesting when you see people come out of where, you know, where he's a collector. He's a guy who loves to collect stuff. He collects wine. He collects basses. He collects, you know, baseball stuff. Um, I think it's interesting when guys have these collections and they're like, okay, I need to get this back out there. And of course we knew earlier this year, he, he bought up a whole bunch of Negro league baseballs and then gave them to the museum. So he's, which is a massive donation, right? So I just think it's fascinating when you see guys from other Mm -hmm. worlds, in this case, the world of music who cross paths with, you know, cause they always say, you know, all athletes want to be musicians. All musicians want to be athletes. Right. So I thought it was kind of a fascinating story to see this huge I mean, he's got, balls that were the first ball thrown out at a game by a president sign, like three by JFK. Like, I mean, just crazy mm-hmm. stuff. Like, so I wish I had some money. I might, it might, my buddy of mine and I, who are both big rush fans were like, here's the thing. If we collected something like that, we would mostly be mesmerized by the fact that it used mm-hmm. to belong to Getty Lee. That's an <laughs> added layer. Never mind that it was signed by somebody. It's a huge added layer. And uh, so anyway, I thought it was really fascinating. He's not selling off his entire collection, just a portion of it. Um, But we're talking like baseballs that are worth like five, Mm -hmm. six figures, which is crazy. Got any baseballs worth six figures? I have probably the most lucrative one I have. If I, if I had to, I don't have many. I wasn't, uh, yeah. I didn't go out and uh, collect a ton of autographs from guys, but I do have mm-hmm. one uh, that is signed by guys, by guys who've thrown perfect games for the New York Yankees, Don Larson, uh, David Cohn and David Wells. Whoa. That's probably the one that, I mean, someday maybe would garner Damn. attention, but uh, the, the, the one that is worth the most to me, which will piss everybody off who's listening to this podcast that's an Astros fan, I have my home run ball from the World Series. That's probably... Yeah, yeah. Do you... Re- I was just going to ask. In, it's in the safe. It's in my just safe. just going to ask. Yeah, I have it. It's authenticated and everything. Good for yeah. you, man. Good for you. I, yeah. I'm not mad about that. No. Good, I've, I've gotten... I've actually you had offers on it. it. I would. I'm sure. I would. I would keep that damn thing forever. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, see this? This is a home run baseball. Yeah. When well, my wife my airs friends. me out for not taking Don't out the trash, I'm like, yeah, so what? So what, babe? Check this out. Look at home run ball. <laughs> see, see, check it out, home run ball. Dude, that is awesome. I I, uh, I think that's – the one Getty Lee has that I think is fascinating is he has a baseball that he acquired that has every – that is the signature of every person who's oh, ever hit 3,000. He's ever gotten 3,000 hits? And he oh, my gosh. It's brilliant. It. Good for him. He's continued it. So he got Pujols. He got Pujols to sign. And he, he's, that's one of the ones he's keeping. My best one is one of the basketballs that's back behind me, I will say, which was a gift from the from the Rockets, actually. And uh, it has it's the year that was uh, Hakeem, Clyde, Rudy T., and Charles nice. Barkley are all on that one. 
That's my best. That's probably my best memorabilia. I have some good baseball ones too, mm. but that's that's got to be the top one. So it's always nice, you know. Memorabilia yeah. is cool. No, I've got a you know, like yeah, I've got a, a Tim cool Brown uh, signed uh, Raiders helmet. Um, and then I actually oh, I cool. I went in on an, I have a Muhammad Ali uh, signed boxing gloves. I was a I was a big Ali fan. Come on. And I also have a signed picture, like right as soon as you walk Come into our on. house. Um, but I, I have a, uh, a Heisman Trophy helmet that I think that has all of the Heisman Trophy winners from 1960 to 2010 or something like that autographed on there. Yeah, that one's awesome. Nice. I love that one. Well, you got some huh? good stuff, buddy. The one I have one back here on the wall too. I don't know if it's in. The, it's probably not in the frame, but I have a uh, oh, Dr. J. Julius Irving, it was when I was growing up. He was my hero. It's a it's an authenticated one from the. I want to say it was from the All Star game in like nineteen ninety. Damn, that's awesome. Something like that. Um, yeah. So there's a few things. I look. Memorabilia is cool. Something we're gonna have to have mm-hmm. a show just talk about like some cool memorabilia that people have because. I've asked people about their stuff, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I have this from the." Oh, I've told you, my friend Frank, yeah. his uncle is. A you huge told me about collector. his house, yeah. I mean, he has some of the most incredible stuff I've ever seen. Oh, and I do have. By the way, I also have Hakeem Olajuwon's autograph as Hakeem Olajuwon from the University of Houston. I do have that, and I have Earl Campbell's autograph, as well as your, uh, as well as one of all-time favorite Astros. Oh, that's cool, Dickie. Thong. That's really cool. I have a, a Dickie Thon autograph from back in the day when I was That's an astro buddy. I was a very when I was just a youngster, just a young <laughs> whippersnapper running around the bleachers eating there you go. dome dogs. That floated around mm. in that gray mm. liquid. God only knows. I'll what tell the you, hell that's that that's was. called intestinal fortitude. If you never had a dome dog back in the day. <laughs> it did something to me. I don't know what it did. I don't know if it's good or bad. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, Really appreciate it. Appreciate everybody tuning in and watching. I know it's, you know, it's a tough way to end the season. We all needed a little breather. Now we can uh, dig into the hot stove and figure out what the Astros (laughs) are going to do from here. Congrats, obviously, to Joe Espada. Um, I think it's a really good deal. I I really appreciate, Blummer, that you already were on his, uh, on Team Espada beforehand. I remember you telling me how... You know, you got along with them really well. So that's that should be great uh, for you as a broadcaster, being able to have a good relationship with a no, guy who's I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Yep. Yeah, it's only going to benefit me because I'm going to try and grease him for all the information I can get. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, what's going Are you doing anything on the network this off season? Do you have anything going on there? Or I've, I've had, we, we did starts? a year in review show that I'm sure you've already seen. And I think it's replaying, you know, every once in a mm-hmm. while around five 30 on uh, space city yes. home network. Um, there, yeah. there's conversations being had for the potential of off season content. Nothing set in stone. Stay tuned. Great. Great. Yeah. Let's hope, let's hope it happens. Get me some. That's always good. And anything from uh, anything from the broadcast team of the Houston Astros is a good thing. You can catch us on Twitter and uh, or X, sorry, and uh, Insta at Believe in Astros. I'm at Jeff Balky. Blummer's at Blummer27. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. As always, have a great week and go Astros.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.